The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. That is, the land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, what we ask of you, what we seek, is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Help us seek your face as we discern your word for us. Amen. So prophets foretold Jesus' arrival. Angels celebrated his birth. Shepherds yearned to see him. A star in the cosmos pointed the way. Magi traveled from the far east to pay him homage. In places both in heaven and on earth, there was great anticipation and delight that the Savior has come. But not all. Not all were excited about the birth of the Messiah. His danger has loomed over this story from the very beginning. King Herod was terrified when he learned of the birth of the long-awaited Savior of Israel. He was dangerously mad and tried to have the baby Jesus killed. When the Magi foiled the plot, Herod went on a killing rampage we call the slaughter of the innocents. Now that Jesus is a man fully tested, initiated, and inaugurated into his mission, a new king is on the throne, Herod's son, and he is the spitting image of his daddy. 
And so as Jesus begins his earthly mission, the danger remains. Immediately, the weight of violent resistance is upon Jesus. Now, Jesus is a man prepared and driven in the mission for which he was born. And that is to be a great light for those who sit in darkness, to become dawn's early light, breaking upon every region touched by the shadow of death. Now, that danger from which the foreign wise men and heaven's angels and his own mom and dad had protected him from throughout his early years, that danger is immediately upon Jesus as he takes up his ministry and his cross. As soon as Jesus returns from a weeks-long trial of temptation in the wilderness from the tempter, he learns that John the Baptist has been arrested. John the Baptist, who baptized him just some 40 days earlier in the Jordan River. And we don't know all the details of that arrest, but we do know that John had been declaring repentance for the kingdom of God has come. A new kingdom is at hand, and John had just anointed the one that he believed to be the Son of God to save the world. To Herod, who felt his power threatened, who could lose his throne, not so much by some kind of impeachment trial or even a democratic election, but by an uprising, a coup. John was the one stirring up trouble, and he had to be silenced. When Jesus heard of John's arrest, Matthew says that he withdrew. He withdrew to Galilee. And that word withdraw, I don't think it quite captures what Jesus did. That word that is translated here as withdraw is in other places in Matthew's gospel translated as fled. It's the same exact word that is used when Matthew says an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream warning him that Herod is about to search for your child to destroy him. It says they fled to Egypt. It's the same word that Matthew uses to describe how the Magi fled home when they heard that Herod was furious with them for tipping off the Holy Family, that he was out to get them. They fled. They didn't withdraw. It's the word that we might use today to describe what happens when a family in, in Mexico or Guatemala learns that a drug cartel has taken over their town and will come for their children, families flee. In Syria and Iraq, when a new terrorist group comes to power in a region abandoned by anyone who could help, they flee to refugee camps seeking safe passage to more stable and prosperous countries. It's the word that we might use to describe what a whole community might do when the climate changes so much that the rains stop coming and their crops won't grow and their children begin to starve. They flee to a place where they might survive in hopes that one day their children might thrive. They might even get to go home again one day. 
Now, Jesus was very near Jerusalem. He was too close to the political and religious powers that were so threatened by him. John had just been arrested. The writing is on the wall, and so Jesus fled home. Now, not because he was afraid, but because he was smart. His time to face these powers of destruction had not yet come, and he was needed. He needed to stay alive a bit longer for a people who needed him. Now, Matthew uses this same word to flee, to withdraw. He uses it 10 times in his gospel. The others use it maybe once. Acts uses it twice. Matthew uses this word 10 times. It's important to the story that he's telling. It's what Jesus will do later on when he learns that some religious leaders want to kill him. It's what Jesus will do when he learns that John the Baptist has been executed. It's what Judas will do after he returns the silver he was paid for betraying Jesus after Jesus was crucified. He fled, and then he died. It's a word that appears in ways that remind us that the story of Jesus Christ is a story that deals with the very real world in which we live. It's not in some far-off place, not, not just a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but in our world, where people face these same threats and same fears, the same hopelessness that we all know so well. Jesus bumps up against the threats that we face. And Jesus withdraws from the threats that would prematurely end his life, not because he's afraid to die, because we know that he's not. He will face his cross boldly. Every single time Jesus withdraws in Matthew, the very next thing that he does is something miraculous for the people who live in the places where people who flee live. Jesus doesn't flee out of fear to a place where he will be safe. He withdraws to places of, of other kinds of danger and suffering in order that he might be a light, a hope, a source of healing for those who live in darkness. Just watch. Just watch what, what Matthew says uh, and, and what he does in this gospel. Today we heard that, uh, from, that Jesus uh, heard that John had been arrested and he withdrew, and then he began to preach the very same sermon that got John arrested in the first place. That doesn't sound like someone who's very afraid. He began to say, word for word, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he calls his first disciples, and then he went all over the region preaching about the good news of that new kingdom. And while he's preaching and teaching, Matthew says that he provided miraculous and free health care to the neediest, curing every kind of disease, every sickness, among all of the people. Matthew says he started to become famous. And so people brought all kinds of sick and suffering and outcast persons to him, and he cured them. That's what he withdrew 
to do. Next, Matthew 12, 15 says that those religious leaders I mentioned earlier, they wanted to destroy Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath. And so it says Jesus withdrew. And then it says that many crowds followed him as he withdrew. And then he cured them all. He fled to be amongst crowds of sick people and make them well. He withdrew from a religious service and he went straight to the hospital. Next, Matthew 14, 13, Herod had John the Baptist's head brought to his daughter on a platter, and Jesus found out the stakes are high, the violence is intense and disturbing, and he fled from that place in a boat and right into a crowd of 5,000 hungry people whom he then fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. He fled an execution and went straight to the soup kitchen. Next, Matthew 15, 21, Jesus withdraws from his own people in order to be with non-believers, Gentiles, where he heals the daughter of a Canaanite woman. Now, Canaanites were historically enemies of Jesus's people, but he withdraws into the heart of a community that he's supposed to despise, and he offers them mercy and healing. From day one, Jesus' ministry, from day one of his ministry, we see a pattern that we as modern-day followers of Jesus might look for in our own lives. Jesus' ministry, time and time again, puts him in harm's way because it puts him with people who face harm as part of their daily lives. Jesus is not reckless. He is wise and discerning. He's not seeking martyrdom here. He's not out there trying to get arrested. In fact, he knows when to withdraw and when to flee, but only ever to go right back into another place of the greatest need. Jesus continuously seeks the welfare of the most afflicted, the most marginalized, the most difficult to love to the extent that it makes people want to put an end to him. So the prophecy from Isaiah holds true. But in order for Jesus to be a great light to the people who sit in darkness, he has to go to the places where people sit in darkness. In order for him to be a light of dawn, Jesus has to be in the shadow of death. And so here's the deal, beloved. Jesus does this publicly that we may see and may follow. He doesn't go it alone. Day one, the threats of the empire and of discomfort are upon him, and he withdraws, not throwing up his hands and shaking his head, no thank you. He withdraws to take up the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of heaven come near. He withdraws to fulfill the prophecy of being the light of dawn. He withdraws to call two brothers out of their fishing boat and invite them to a life like his, where they'll fish for people. He withdraws to call two more fishermen brothers away from their families, where they'll not mend fishing nets, but mend human hearts and bodies. Jesus withdraws to call disciples to join him in his pattern of life, leaving behind old ways to follow a new way, 
where we continue to seek out the places of greatest suffering and pain and confusion and corruption and isolation, that we might bring a light of hope, good news, healing, and salvation. I don't think we have to think very hard to imagine the places where people struggle this way in, in our own world, where there is the greatest concentration of sick and outcasts, those different from ourselves. If we believe that we see Jesus withdrawing, it's only perhaps because we are farther from the places where Jesus goes. But to be near him, we only need to do what he's always called us to do. To lay down our nets yet again, to lay down our lives, and to withdraw with him, to follow him and become with him the light of dawn that scatters the darkness wherever the darkness still reigns. Amen.